0: Welcome to the CSAE Research Podcast, a series of conversations about projects taking place linked to the center of the study of African economies at the University of Oxford. I'm Noam Angrist, a senior fellow at the University of Oxford and a co-founder of Youth Impact, which is one of the largest NGOs in Botswana. Youth Impact was founded in 2014 to scale up evidence in health and education around the world and is headquartered in Botswana, now working in over 10 countries and counting with partners. So today I'm really excited to discuss a groundbreaking new study we've been involved in titled Building Resilient Education Systems, Evidence from Large-Scale Randomized Trials in Five Countries. The project focuses on an approach called Connected, and this is really a phone call tutorial program to deliver high quality education through a mobile phone call. Originally, this approach was tested in Botswana in the early part of the pandemic, and since then, the results came out very early and were quite positive, uh, published in Nature Human Behavior, uh, and then there was demand to replicate this approach all over the world and we partnered with governments, multilaterals like the World Bank, NGOs, research organizations like j and IPA to do just that and ended up replicating this approach in five additional randomized trials around the world. So today I'm really excited to introduce research and implementation partners behind this paper and study to give a behind the scenes look into how it happened and where it's going. The five countries were India, Nepal, Kenya, Philippines, and Uganda. Uh, so really historic multi-country replication effort. Results were just released in the NBER. Uh, so very excited to dive in today. Joining me today, we have a fantastic set of uh, folks. So first, I'm thrilled to introduce, and I'm gonna uh, go through and ask everyone questions. Uh, Tato Letsomo, who is a senior manager of content and training at Youth Impact in Botswana. Will tell us a little bit about the origin story. Claire Cullen, a postdoctoral fellow in development economics at the CSAE at the University of Oxford, uh, and a research specialist at Youth Impact. Karisha Cruz, who is a Senior Policy and Project Development Associate at IPA Philippines. Michael Anomagisha at Building Tomorrow, the Learning Coordinator. And Sai Pramod Bhatena, Co-Founder and Director of an NGO called Allokit in India. Uh, in addition to uh, Carisha, Michael, and Size organizations uh, around the world in Philippines, Uganda, and India, we also partnered with New Globe in Kenya, and in Nepal with the World Bank, with the government, and two NGOs, Teach for Nepal and Street Child. So a really diverse coalition, five randomized trials, 18 months uh, and providing real-time evidence on really critical issues of how to provide high-quality remote instruction when schools were disrupted. Some of the largest, fastest evidence generated in education. One of the questions was, would this approach scale across countries with different types of partners? So I'm thrilled to dive in today and take us back to that original study in Botswana. So Tato, uh, you were there at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about the origin story? How and when did this program start? What does it involve? And what do you think is core to it and needed to stay as it was adapted uh, across settings and what could be adapted? So take it away, Tato.
1: Thank you so much, Ma. I'm excited to be speaking here in this podcast alongside some of those who see this program and replicated it in their context across the globe. Uh, as Mum has introduced, my name is Tato. And um, this program started in 2020 when uh, COVID hit uh, the globe. And we collected phone numbers and the schools that we were working with. And we reached out to those households uh, over the phone. And it didn't need a high-tech phones, just a simple phone. And we're sending SMSs on, with basic meds uh, problems and would follow up with a call, a 20-minute call every week. And then there's uh, phone calls. Children or learners were tutored or taught basic uh, maths. One of the things that we thought of as we were creating or doing this program was to make sure that we keep it very simple as much as possible. And the other thing that we had to really think of was to make sure that it's basic mobile phones, uh, just the low tech. Then the last thing that we were also thinking of was making sure that the content is very targeted to the ability of the child. And this is one of the things, as we were talking to countries that wanted to replicate or take the program up was one of the messages that we were saying to say. the principle is keeping it simple and making sure that the content is targeted.
0: Thank you, Tato. Amazing in its simplicity and and kind of how much of the innovation was actually in keeping it uh, so simple and accessible and cheap. So the phone is obviously a key feature of this. You mentioned targeting. Would you say that was if you had to pick a principle that was really core to the pedagogy? Would you say that's what it was? And can you describe that a little bit more?
1: Thank you so much. Um, that was the main principle and very core to the program. Uh, 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 like uh, we have already mentioned, the core principle was making sure that the instructions are targeted. And what does that mean? It's that one of the things that we're doing is to check the level of the child. Uh, and if the child knows addition only, will start them at subtraction, not teaching the child everything. So we should make sure that the instructions are the simple and they're very targeted to the level of the child. Then one of the things that we're doing in this call every week in the call will give a problem for the day to check if the child has learned something during this 20 minutes phone call and make sure that in the following week when you are calling, you are targeting the instructions to the level that the child would be at.
0: Got it. And very interesting that you're using these high frequency kind of mini assessments to target that instruction. And as we know, that is an approach that's been tested in in in-school settings before through program models like teaching at the right level and was adapted to this COVID and phone-based context. And it also is interesting because this call is one-on-one might also help target it even further. You can really address the child's needs almost like tutoring. Uh, So targeting really key and and great to hear that come through that it's not just the platform of the phone, but also the pedagogy of targeting. So Claire, I'm gonna shift over to you. Can you tell us how we designed these multi-country studies to try to answer some of the key scaling questions? Would this work outside of Botswana? Uh, How would it need to be uh, effective across these settings?
2: yeah absolutely so i think there's two aspects to that so obviously there's the exciting promising results from the botswana first proof of proof of concept but then we wanted to see if it worked in multiple other contexts we want the one aspect of scaling is does it work when it's delivered to more students in different kinds of places and so part of that is this like massive five country randomized control trial effort Uh, and then another dimension is we wanted to see if it works depending on who implements it. So is is the program robust and effective no matter who is implementing? So we randomize students to receive the program from either government or NGO implementers in some context. Uh, so that helps us answer the question like potentially could it be scaled by government teachers?
0: Fascinating. And, and we do know that the proof of concept studies from other evidence often do not scale to other settings. So really critical. And we also know that there's been studies where uh, NGOs can deliver something effectively and when the exact same thing is delivered by government, it it might not replicate. So really critical uh, that this was in the design. Fascinating. What were the results?
2: Yeah, super exciting to share and very happy that the results are now out. So... The, we found that the phone and SMS tutoring program caused really large improvements in learning. So a 0.32 standard deviation improvement in learning outcomes, which is huge. Um, it's real, also very cheap. It was really cost-effective. And so it, just to give it like a benchmark, when we looked at a review of education programs out there, we found that this is amongst the most cost-effective programs out there. Um, so that's really promising. Could also mention that it was effective everywhere. So in all five countries, there was a, um, a statistically significant improvement in learning. Obviously, there are differences across programs, but it worked. Uh, and then also really excitingly, we found that it was equally effective, no matter who delivered it, whether it was government teachers or NGO implementers.
0: Very striking. Uh, and so usually we know that things don't replicate. So the fact that this is replicating and replicating so well and in some ways better than the original Botswana study. Fascinating. And maybe it is because it's building on these well-known principles like targeting instruction and tutoring, which are these really effective approaches and just adapting it to this phone-based setting. So fascinating to to see this approach work. Can you share a bit, uh, Claire, on how we thought from a measurement point of view and a research point of view around monitoring and measuring Uh, what's common, what's adapted, how to really stay, uh, have some fidelity to the core model, but still give room to to make sure this fits in local settings.
2: Yeah, that's such an important balance to strike. So you obviously need to adapt things a bit in a new context. So for example, we found that place value is taught a little bit differently in Nepal. And so there's latitude with the curriculum to change how that's explained a little bit, but broadly like the curriculum, The training, so Tato running the training of trainers in different countries was the same, the tools are the same, and the principles that you and Tato have talked about. So the like tutoring aspect and the targeting, they were the same, while there's like little bits of of differences in flexibility. But the way to make sure that our partners made sure that it was effective and to track implementation fidelity in all contexts was the same. So we measured what it was that Tato was talking about, like was the program accurately targeted. So we're teachers teaching students the level that they should have been teaching them. And we found we have a paper coming out in the AEA Papers and Proceedings. um, And that shows really cool results that, unlike this story out there that you mentioned, Noam, that like maybe nothing scales and everything works well in the first proof of concept when everyone's attention is on it. But then when you go to scale, like things diminish. And so we actually find that implementation fidelity gets better and better trial by trial. And also week by week within trials. So that's a super exciting story and it kind of taught us that collecting high frequency monitoring data is super super key and very informative and also exciting.
0: Fascinating and such an important balance to strike of measuring that thing we know is key uh, and then giving room but then also actually you know what you're sharing is we even saw that the level of targeting can improve if you monitor it and you learn from from experience. You can get better and better at it. I think this feature of getting better and better and learning from experience does really seem to be key to this scaling journey across settings. Uh, And rather than just kind of totally hand it off, there's some mechanism to coordinate across partners and settings. And as we mentioned at the beginning of of this podcast, it really was a diverse array of partners. And it was happening in countries youth impact had not worked in before with quite large organizations like governments and the World Bank. But that coordination across partners and and ability to share lessons, uh, really important and fascinating to see that show up in the data. So now I'm actually gonna turn to the partners and hear from their perspective in various country contexts. So I'm gonna start uh, with, Sai in India, uh, with Alakit, right, an NGO that was working with, with government teachers to deliver this. Uh, Sai, can you share what initially drew you to this program, and what did it look like in your context?
3: Right. So uh, we implemented this program in government residential schools in the Telangana state of India. The government here runs residential schools for children from the most marginalized scheduled caste and scheduled tribe communities whose family incomes are less than 1,250 US dollars annually. Uh, in this network, despite the best efforts from the government, only about 20% of the children were engaged in learning or consuming learning materials shared through WhatsApp, TV, or Zoom sessions. An additional challenge was that the students lived far away from the school, sometimes almost 70 to 100 kilometers, and teachers were finding it, finding it very difficult to kind of reach the students. And we were looking at ways to educate the children and reduce the learning loss. The department was also looking for partners. So that's when we were drawn towards connected program and we realized that already the connected program was tested, evidence was coming up already. So that's how we were drawn into this program and thought we should definitely implement it and pilot here.
0: That's great, great to hear that. And obviously there were so many things to pick from, right? It was this moment of uncertainty, of need, uh, and so great to hear what drew you to this approach. Moving to Uganda, uh, Michael, from your perspective as building tomorrow, what drew you to the program? And also what it looked like in your setting. And as we know, in Uganda, there were some of the longest school closures in the world. Thank you,
4: uh, Dr. Noam Angrist. Like you did last severe. Uh, Uganda was not exceptional to uh, the rest of the other countries under uh, COVID lockdowns. Uganda actually faced uh, about two years of school closures, which left about 15 million learners affected. And prior to these school closures, only about 4% of the learners could do basic math operations by grade four, a situation that was further exacerbated by COVID 19. Our organization has contributed to stemming learning loss by using uh, a corps of about 7,000 community educational volunteers to deliver literacy and numeracy lessons to uh, all learners using the teacher at the right level methodology and our signature name, Roots to Raise program. And by 2022, we uh, were able to reach about 100,000 learners. Think about it, uh, for example, a case in point, point, a one Aisha who was under our programs, already a top performer in her class and an academic inspiration to her peers. And after about two years of school schools reopening, she was struggling to correct her concepts taught in class and found it uh, a little bit disturbing for her. This meant that the teachers had to do uh, so much to get Aisha's speed with schoolwork, and this was not unique Aisha alone, but also across about fifteen million learners. Working with ConnectEd program stem learning loss uh, using our community of volunteers and proving their efficacy was important for us. See a way how we can
0: scale this approach and uh, stay the crisis got it very important and great to see this model of community education volunteers being able to deliver this uh, in their local settings uh, even through the phone uh, and in a setting where schools closed for so long we also know in the philippines there were some of the longest school closures in the world and of course in all settings school were disrupted for for far too long So we're going to shift over to the Philippines. Uh, Isha, what drew you to the program? IPA also, many priorities, many uh, different sectors, lots going on, lots of uncertainty. Why this program and what did it look like in your setting?
5: Right. So in the Philippines at that time, schools remained physically closed due to the pandemic. And while there was remote learning, um, there was no regular teacher-student interaction for almost two years. So most kids learned through um, what we call self-learning modules, which really had limited student-teacher interaction. And that was a big concern among um, our teachers. Even prior to the pandemic, we're seeing poor learning outcomes, especially on numeracy and literacy among our young learners. So there was really a need to find effective strategies to improve learning and also to stem learning loss that time. Um, And it was great timing when Youth Impact approached IPA um, and shared the great work that they've done in Botswana. And we thought this could be a feasible um, program because in the Philippines, mobile phones um, are accessible both for teachers and households. And so we met with DepEd to share this new evidence on learning via phone tutoring and ask whether we can test this program to see whether this low-cost intervention um, actually work in our context and potentially address these learning challenges and support learning recovery. And so, yeah, so we were able to engage with DepEd across all governance levels, um, from the central office down to the field offices and schools, and we got their support. And we tested actually two models for grades three and four learners, Um, the teacher aid arm or the NGO arm where IPA hired teacher aides to deliver the phone tutoring and the deputy teacher arm or the government arm where the deputy teachers themselves were able to deliver the phone based tutoring program.
0: And I remember IPA, Philippines, and DEPED. This was one of the partnerships where we did have that. We had that randomization between government and NGO. We also had that in Nepal. Uh, And so that's really fascinating and and proved very important to understand can this be delivered by governments? So now, shifting gears towards this question again of common things that work uh, versus things that you need to adapt. So, we'd love to hear from everyone again. Did you keep the same and you felt like was relevant and important to keep the same? And what did you adapt to your setting? So, Sai, over to you uh, in India.
3: Yeah, we did keep the uh, similar structure in terms of using sending SMS every week and doing phone calls to the students once in a week. That kind of remained the same in India as well, uh, just like in Botswana. However, uh, two big things that we made uh, change was in terms of involving the school heads. Uh, this is the first time teachers are also getting used to a program like this, so we thought it will be helpful if school heads are also involved in it, so that they don't know, they know how to support teachers well in the implementation of the program. So the school heads are also part of the training, and school heads are also given updates constantly every week, so that they know how many teachers are able to complete calls, and if there is any need to support additional uh, with additional teachers. Right, that's something different that we did. And the third, second difference that we did was in terms of data collection process. Uh, In Botswana, I think uh, survey CTO was used as a collection mechanism. Uh, However, in in India, teachers are not very much aware of survey CTO. So we leveraged Google Forms, which teachers were more familiar uh, here. So these are the two big changes that we made.
0: That's great. And I know that Allocate also has this focus on school leadership. So really interesting to see that engagement uh, throughout multiple levels of the education system. Michael, what about you? What did you keep similar and what did you adapt? Uh, Thank you, Doctor. Uh, In our context, we didn't really
4: deviate much again from the Botswana trial. Uh, We kept the SMS and phone arm and the control arm and uh, delivering weekly phone calls uh, basically to targeted instruction, numeracy lessons, but also weekly SMSs. However, in our context, we used heavily our community education of volunteers who were already familiar with delivering uh, literacy lessons. And we've connected the program and the trainings uh, we did get and give to the Committee education of Volunteers only improved their delivery mechanism uh, via uh, phone calls. And we also did have in their translation of uh, material content that was delivered by our Committee education of Educational Volunteers, but also the tools that were capturing the assessments and the data uh, so that it is of, uh, of quality and to tie it in there uh, we also did have a strong monitoring uh, system where we were supported by uh, our building tomorrow fellows who are young graduates recruited from our university deployed to recruit these committed educational volunteers but also on a weekly basis engage them to get uh, the challenges and any successes they have you know registered and give them support so that uh, quite de- uh, quality delivery of these
0: lessons was uh, the most important thing for this program. And I recall in Uganda, we actually used these paper-based tools because it was decentralized. So that was quite an impressive operation to be able to do that, whereas in other settings, we did have to use, uh, and we chose to use digital tools. So that was really fascinating and it worked quite well. Uh, Isha, over to you in the Philippines. What did you keep similar and what did you adapt?
5: So in the Philippines, we used the same um, set of um, interventions. So we adopted the SMS um, and phone call intervention. So what we did, though, is to contextualize these materials. So we worked with Youth Impact and DepEd to align um, with the competencies uh, uh, targeted to our grade three and grade four learners. And we tried to localize the math exercises as well and translated them to the local languages um, for our learners. And similar to what um, the others have mentioned, we've also implemented electronic data collection where teachers or the teacher aides were able to use their mobile phones um, to to look at the the forms, the phone call scripts, and also to submit the data uh, that they collect every week. So that enabled us to do real-time monitoring.
0: And I remember this language issue was was such a big one. It was in many settings, uh, in many countries. There were lots of languages. You know, Botswana only has a few, uh, but in you know Philippines and Uganda and India, there were more languages. So I remember this question coming up on how to match the caller to the student in terms of common language, which we know is an issue even before COVID, certainly after. And it was interesting to see the phone be this flexible tool to actually facilitate that match in a very nimble fashion you could really make sure that you have the right caller and student uh, speaking together in that in that same common language so fascinating so i think we're hearing across all three countries you know keeping a very similar model this phone call uh, combined with sms messages really working and some of these adaptations on monitoring on language uh, on tutor and delivery agent One thing I will say uh, that we did see, the story sounds positive with these positive effects of phone calls and SMSs across all settings, but the story is not all rosy. I, I remember we saw that the SMS messages on their own were not enough, so we had a treatment arm in these studies that was only SMS messages. And that only worked in two countries, not all five, and the effects were smaller. So one of the things we we learned from this is that it did have to be A phone call accompanying that SMS. It couldn't just be SMS. And that was really important because SMS is particularly cheap and particularly scalable, but it just wasn't enough to deliver that impact in these settings, whereas phone calls were effective and still cheap and scalable and I remember that lesson being really important in thinking about which types of these Uh, models do we really want to, to take to scale? So on that note, I want to ask each partner, what is next? What are you taking forward in your organization? What are you scaling? How are you scaling? Would love to hear from you on what is next. So again, starting with you, Sai, in India, what have you learned? What are you taking forward? And what's next for you?
3: So what really worked well and something that we are taking forward is the principle of targeting. So uh, post-COVID, as kids returned to schools, we noticed that children were having a lot of learning gap because in India, more or less two years of school closures were there. So we picked up this principle of targeting uh, that we learned from the Connected program, and we adapted that into most of our programs. So we are training our school heads on how to apply this principle of targeting so that they can also train their teachers. So most of the school heads have now adapted this principle to teach language, and also remediate and both mother tongue as both English and Telugu, as well as mathematics. So that's something which is really working well for us.
0: That's great. and I think this point on targeting has really come out uh, over and over again. Uh, I should also reference, you know, there's been other work on this uh, approach and, and this topic, and there was a study in Sierra Leone uh, that did phone calls, but did not target instruction. And there it wasn't effective. So this piece on targeting is really key. And we even did see that in the original Botswana study. We cross-randomized targeted instruction and those effects were, were more positive. So that's great to hear, Si, that that's a principle that you're really taking forward. Uh, Michael, what are you taking forward? What is Building Tomorrow doing next? And And how are you thinking about scaling some of these lessons up?
4: Well, uh, for building tomorrow, one thing really this uh, program has helped us learn is um, it has helped us to validate the effectiveness of fund based learning and actually empowered us to scale our Ewaka program, more so of uh, a delivery automated uh, platform to deliver numerous lessons through interactive voice recognition, uh, via 2 g uh, phones, and uh, also helped us to validate that commitment. Education of volunteers can equally be effective uh, instructors, and uh, we continue to elevate them in our model so that we can reach as many learners as possible. And doing an A-B testing to uh, look at very many other factors to see how, why, uh, in our context, was this successful for this particular program is important for us as we um, influence policy implications in our country to ensure leaders are numeracy for all.
0: That's great. And uh, this point on the tutor really can be uh, volunteers, it can be teachers. We're seeing that across these models, this approach can be effective. So great to hear about those plans going forward. Uh, In the Philippines, Isha, I know there's been a lot of exciting momentum with the Department of Education. Can you tell us what's next, especially in light of the fact that we explicitly tested a government model in the Philippines uh, and saw that it could work?
5: That's right. Yeah, so we're still um, having talks with DEPED officials to explore ways on how to optimize the delivery of this um, phone-based tutoring, mainly to support um learner recovery or remedial education that can be aligned with our plans for um, national remedial or tutoring programs. And we find a lot of opportunities um, to continue M education even post-COVID uh, school closures. And actually, just recently, we completed a workshop with DEPED um, central office just to think about ways on how we can approach this. And one of the things that we are looking at is running this program um, in emergency settings, such as climate-related emergencies. So as you know, in the Philippines, we're a very highly uh, disaster-prone country, and that has led to several school disruptions um, in the past uh, years. And so we're actually able to test this program during a disaster, and we found that it was actually effective. Um, So when the typhoon hit, I think it was around December, 2021, we were really about a few weeks into the phone based uh, tutoring program. And so while there were some disruptions um, because of damages due to the typhoon, um, we found that the phone call tutorial was um, effective and it still improved um, learning. Of our learners, so yeah. So to further optimize uh, for scale, uh, we do plan to conduct more um, tests uh, with the government and potentially other education partners interested in running this uh, low-cost phone-based learning program. So a lot of potential, and we do um, are we are excited to continue um, this conversation.
0: And that really was, that typhoon was such a shock. And I remember it was such an incredible effort uh, that IPA and DepEd, you you collaborated on to keep learning going. And I think that really does show the ability of this approach to provide resilience in education systems, to withstand multiple shocks. And this really has opened our eyes to this broader issue of school disruption. Obviously it was historic during COVID in, in scale. Uh, but it happens in other settings. As you said, Isha, it happens weather shocks, rainy seasons, typhoons, monsoons. Uh, there's other types of disruptions and conflict settings. Uh, I know there's a semi-autonomous region in the Philippines that has some, some conflict uh, disruptions, uh, as well as this happening in, in many countries around the world. Uh, one estimate, Education Cannot Wait, estimates that 222 million children uh, are currently Uh, experiencing disrupted schooling due to some kind of education and emergency. So having this evidence on a way to build resilience into education systems so they can withstand these shocks so key and these two parallel tracks in the Philippines you're pursuing on ed in emergencies as well as what does this look like during normal times with the government really exciting and I know there's been lots of momentum with undersecretaries and directors uh, alignment with policy in in making this happen so very very exciting to hear from folks who were on the front lines and, and really made this happen thank you so much Uh, Michael, Isha, and Sai. I'm going to bring us back to Botswana. Uh, Tato, what kept happening in Botswana as this approach spread around the world? Did you stop? Did you keep going? What were you doing in Botswana while this was radiating uh, to multiple countries?
1: Um, thank you so much, Noam. And I think it's uh, exciting also sitting here and listening into what other countries have done and how they're thinking of this uh, going forward. It's so humbling and exciting to see how much a lot of learners across the country have benefited out of this program. And in Botswana, we have never stopped uh, because the demand is still very high. There are a lot of parents who are calling and saying, why is my child not part of this program? They are children or students who are bragging to other learners when they get back to school, saying that I have someone who's calling me over the phone and they have taught me how to do division. That I have been struggling with, and these are some of the stories uh, that we get from the fields that make us to keep going and pressing on. Because in general, our learners have still, most of our learners are still lagging behind in the uh, in basic uh, numeracy. So one of the things that also we have done, and we are still doing, is. Um, running uh, rapid innovations every school time on a b testing and one of the a b testing has also even tripled uh, some of those effects so it's exciting to see what the program has done and it's exciting to see the demand right from the Ministry of education from the household from the parents and even some of the teachers there was a time one teacher called when the schools reopened and said I hear in my class, I have not yet introduced division. And when I introduced it, one child just raised up their hands and said she knows how to do division. And I was, I asked them to come to the board and show how they do the division. And the child did it so well. And the way that the, the, the way that even me as a teacher, I was not going to be able to explain, uh, to, to the learners. And when she asked the, this child, this, the student said, they, someone called them over the phone from Youth Impact and they taught them, uh, this, uh, concept during, uh, over the phone. And the teacher called to really appreciate and say she has used, started using this child as more like as a co-teacher or facilitator to teach other students. So those are some of the things that, uh, shows us that the program is still working. And like I have said, this, the demand is still very high.
0: It's so great to hear Tato that, that this kept going and that you kept learning. Uh, I think this is one of the striking things. On the one hand, this has now this approach and this evidence base become one of the largest multi-country evidence bases in education, six RCTs and counting that we've been directly involved in, other, Authors and organizations are also testing this approach. The Inter-American Development Bank has now tested this approach in in four countries, the Center for Global Development, uh, and and others. And it's exciting. On the one hand, there is so much evidence. On the other hand, there's so much more to learn. We're just scratching the surface on what this type of approach can do, where it can work, where it won't work, uh, and how to scale it up. So it's just so great to hear uh, that this has kept going and continued to improve in Botswana uh, simultaneously, So I just want to thank all of the folks who've joined us on this podcast. It's always so wonderful to hear from people directly who make these studies happen. Uh, we often see the paper, we see the results, there's a lot there, and there's so much more behind the paper. So thank you so much everyone, thank you Tato, thank you Claire, Michael, Isha, Sai, Uh, and it's just a treat to have collaborated with you uh, and to hear your perspective on this and looking forward to seeing where this effort can go. So thank you, everyone, uh, and looking forward to being in touch.
1: Thank you so much, Nam, and thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thank you, everyone.
4: Thank you,
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you.